A Tale of Two Pods, Mad Edition. That has nothing to do with your question, no. but that was definitely on my mind. Cool story, Glenn. All right, everybody, this is the second of your two pods, uh, Matt going solo. I'm going to try my best to not just rehash and go over the same stuff that Noah said, but I would just like to give a few thoughts on the finals and the conference finals and the craziest story of the year so far or at least the craziest since Bobby Portis punched Nikola Miritich in the face this Brian Colangelo thing um but first we are going to see Golden State Cleveland for the fourth time in a row and I think similarly to Noah that this is amazing and we should cherish this time in NBA history because I feel like people will look back on this time as they do to the 80s when Boston and LA had all those great battles and uh, this is going to be something that people sort of cherish in, in in the history of the NBA and no other teams have ever gone head to head four times in a row in the finals no two teams people have gone have had three peats uh, in baseball and hockey, but it hasn't happened in a long time. Obviously, football is not that kind of sport, but even in football, no four teams have met in the Super Bowl three times in a row or uh, four times in a row. So this is the only time this has ever happened. You sort of do wish you can't you you, you want to call it one of the greatest rivalries ever, but it's hard to call it that because you know it's going to not be super competitive, but. It is something worth noting that we are witnessing history. And it's also worth noting just we are witnessing this, you know, Noah Noah gave you all the stats, but this historic LeBron James run. And as, as we're sort of getting towards the end of his career, it is, I don't know, it's just worth appreciating while we can because he's going to have, you know, only a couple more years of this caliber before he, he starts to tail off and just enters a new phase of his career as more of a um, supporting player. So it's 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 amazing what he's doing, and uh, I just I, I'm excited to watch the finals because even in a a four game sweep or you know a five game gentleman sweep, I think LeBron will will perform to a, to a level that not too many players ever get to. Uh, so I think it'll be worth watching just to, to to cherish the moments of LeBron and the great feats that he has, uh, he's able to perform for us. I will say it is worth noting that the last time Cleveland sort of faced this level of an uphill battle was, you know, the 2015 finals when... Uh, Kyrie only played one game. Kevin Love was hurt. And Cleveland took Golden State to six games. You know, it, they, they won two off of them. And they were up two to one in that series. And I know that Golden State now has Kevin Durant. And it's a very different Golden State team. But they are a thinner Golden State team. Uh, the, uh, Andre Iguodala's been out, and even if he comes back, he's you know older, and he's definitely not the Andre Iguodala that won Finals MVP. Sean Livingston is 
older and hasn't been playing as well. And, you know, they're just a, a much thinner team. They, they're very, very top-heavy. Uh, and not that the Cavs are some super deep team. But, you know, they won two games in the 2015 finals, and their starting five was LeBron, Mozgov, Smith, Thompson, and Della Vadova. Um, or JR came off the bench. It was Della Vadova and uh, Shumpert were the, the starting backcourt after Kyrie had started one game. They brought Delhi in to start the other five. So it was basically a six-man rotation with LeBron, Mozgov, JR, Tristan, Delhi, and Shumpert. You know, James Jones got some minutes in there, but it was basically those six guys, and they and they pulled off two games off Golden State. So you never know. I do feel like it's going to be a different challenge, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk briefly about the Boston Cavs series after, but... It's going to be a different challenge, but if Love can come back and play at a reasonably high level and they do a similar thing uh, where, you know, Mozgov and Thompson were just monsters on the boards in that series um, and just getting, you know, double-doubles basically every game, that's how they were they were going back old-school bully ball and that's how they got uh up in that series and so if you do a sort of a similar thing where you have love and thompson just pounding offensive boards and then you play sort of a bigger wing rotation with corver jeff green and jr and now corver is i think a much better defender than a lot of people normally give him credit for and he's big so he could you know maybe check a guy like thompson uh a little bit and you know you put jr on and he's obviously one of the more inconsistent defenders as is jeff green but you know, you never want to count LeBron out of anything. Uh, but if they play sort of a bigger lineup like that uh, with LeBron and then five of of the, you know, f- four of the Love, Thompson, Corver, Jeff Green, JR group, maybe some spot minutes for Clarkson. I don't know. I could see them. I could see them pushing it to two games like you know, or to winning two games, pushing it to six with some sort of Herculean effort from LeBron, LeBron pounding the boards, playing big. They could, uh, you know, that was the thing with the Boston series is they, Corver sort of got played off the floor because they couldn't really hide him. You know, they had scorers at every position Boston did or people who could, you know, reasonably score. You know, Marcus Morris and Marcus Smart are, are inconsistent, but they, they did enough to to uh play Corver a little bit off the floor uh I think with this Golden State team because they are so thin there will be more places to hide uh a Corver you know on a Jordan Bell Kevon Looney even to some degree uh Sean Livingston because of uh Corver's not giving up that much size on a Sean Livingston. So, and then, you know, if you surround LeBron with three point shooters, either with Thompson coming off the bench, uh, I don't know. It could, it could, it could be mildly interesting. I mean, it's going to be interesting, even if it's a sweep, because you're just going to see LeBron who is, you know, the greatest or second greatest player ever at peak performance in one of his probably last super a plus prime seasons. And, uh, I don't know. It'll be an interesting finals regardless now, just a brief notes on the conference finals. I don't have much more to add past what Noah said, but I do feel I do want to echo his opinions that I think had Chris Paul 
been injured or been not injured, they would have won that game because they basically just yeah they turned into you know a jump shooting team and they had no other options. Uh, you know, Harden and Gordon would try to go to the to, to go to the basket. But to you know, to no avail. I do feel like the steadying presence of Paul would have helped in that moment. And they are going to be in an interesting position moving forward. I, I'm really, really curious as to what this um, this Rockets team looks like because you know Chris Paul is obviously a free agent, but no one thinks he's really going anywhere. But Trevor Ariza is a free agent. Uh, Clint Capella is a restricted. Obviously, everyone expects him to get a huge contract. Uh, but Luke Richard. Mamute is a free agent. Gerald Green's a free agent. These are people who are like key contributors to this lineup. And, you know, this Ryan Anderson contract is is a real killer. I mean, they still will have Eric Gordon and P.J. Tucker. You know, P.J. Tucker signed through 2021, Eric Gordon through 2020. So another couple years there. But we'll see. You know, they... They're losing, going to lose a huge chunk of their rotation anyway. Um, you know, obviously people consider this a LeBron potential destination. Um, but, you know, they might have to gut even more to get LeBron. So I'm curious about that. I'm all, you know, Boston is a little less uh, up in the air. Uh, Baines and Greg Monroe are both free agents. Baines, you know, is, is is played a lot. Greg Monroe didn't play at all. I, I doubt he'd be returning. But, you know, everyone's talked about this ad nauseum, how great of a position they are. They almost went to the finals, and they got their two best players coming back. So I'm not worried about LeBron, or I'm not worried about Boston, really. I think Rogier, you know, he he's a restricted free agent after next year, so they still have one more year that they could trade him or just keep him as a backup. Uh, Marcus Smart's restricted free agent this summer. We'll see what his offers he gets this summer. Uh, I, I mean, I like Marcus Smart. It was uh, funny how, how poorly he was shooting by the end, and then after the game was over, talked about how his, he had a broken hand and was like, um, maybe you shouldn't have shot that much, Mark. Uh, but obviously the Salts are, you know, in great position, have more picks coming. Uh, I, I sort of hate them. I do briefly want to touch on my experience watching Game 7 of Boston Cavaliers because I was in a bar in Brooklyn, um, and there was a huge contingent of people rooting for the Boston Celtics, which I didn't know if they were Boston fans. If they were, I forgive them, but I felt it got the vibe that a lot of them were simply LeBron haters, which I really am losing patience for because... I get, you know, I was sort of a LeBron hater when he went to Miami in the same way that I'm like sort of a Kevin Durant hater that he's, you know, when he after he went to the Warriors, but you sort of get over that quickly. Your emotions, you know, bubble up and then they go away and you just appreciate these wonderful players for who they are. You know, I I love Kevin Durant's one of the most exciting players to watch, uh, whether I'm rooting for his team or not, but all of these people wanted LeBron to lose. And it was so strange to me because if you have the opportunity to see the second or first greatest player of all time play the greatest team of all time in the finals again, why wouldn't you be rooting for that? I mean, even if I'm I'm not the biggest Cleveland fan or biggest LeBron fan, but you got to want to 
watch him as much as you can and treasure every moment you can. So if I was like, I don't care if he's getting swept in the finals, if I can watch him four more times, I want to watch him four more times. Uh, and so I really, people are going to be sad when he's gone. And they're, so these, this idea that we should be rooting against him because we're bored of more of the same or just, you know, because you're LeBron haters is, is crazy to me because we should literally cherish every moment and hope he goes to the finals next year and the year after because eventually he won't be there anymore and we're going to be really sad and miss the times that he was. I will say this, if you are watching this NBA Finals and as are excited as I am, you should, I would encourage you to use the Chinese uh, nicknames for players. You know, uh, the NBA is the most popular, most followed sport in all of China. And according to courts.com, uh, you know, very reputable site, uh, Nick, Nick Kapoor, who's an assistant professor uh from Rutgers University has on Twitter been compiling uh, nicknames that people in China have given to uh, the members of the Cleveland Cavaliers and Golden State Warriors. Uh, and through translations, they they become wonderful nicknames. Uh, you know, we call him King James here, but uh, LeBron James obviously over there is called Emperor James, which is just their version of, you know, the King James nickname. Um but because of his, so they a lot of fans in China accuse him of traveling a lot, uh, and they used to they called him uh, Six Step LeBron, uh, using three different Chinese characters, which actually phonetically sort of sound like LeBron. But uh, that eventually morphed into, uh, based on his his crab dribble, which is you know another sort of way of getting around the traveling violation. Uh, they started calling him instead of a uh, emperor. Uh, James, they've started calling him the Crab Emperor. So I would highly encourage everyone to call uh, LeBron Crab Emperor because that's an amazing name. Kevin Love, they call him Love God. Uh, but some, you know, obviously Warriors fans, they, they call him a different... I, I would try to pronounce the Chinese characters, but I'm not going to put you guys through that. But uh, the, the Warriors fans call him Love Goddess. Uh, and this is one of my favorites of, for the Cavs. Uh, J.R. Smith uh, is called the Psychotic Blade. Um, Psychotic Blade is the coolest nickname. And I hope after his playing career is over, he stars in an action movie uh, with Jean-Claude Van Damme where there is some buddy cop thing and they call it Psychotic Blade. Uh, the Warriors, uh, Steph Curry, cute god. Uh which I think is sort of like a ver their version of baby-faced assassin. Um, and, but there's also a, a, a Chinese character nickname uh, that tra translates basically to primary school student. So there's the, the crab god and the primary school student are the leaders of these two teams. Uh, Kevin Durant is cool. It's, I guess it's just based on the slim reaper nickname uh it, they have a nickname that translates basically to god of death uh or and they had another one called uh that was god of thunder which is cool because he used to play for the thunder i think and i think the marvel movies are pretty popular over there um uh clay thompson's nickname is maybe the coolest or weirdest uh they just call him the buddha because uh 
he has a kind face, they say. Uh, but the greatest nickname of all, maybe maybe second only to Psychotic Blade, is uh, they call him the Soup God because the phonetic translation of Thompson uh, is the character uh, for soup. So we got our crab emperors, our soup gods, our psychotic blades. Please let these be the only way you refer to these players moving forward. I highly encourage that. Last but not least, I would just like to briefly talk about this Brian Colangelo thing, by far the weirdest story of the season. I think even maybe weirder than the the, the false injury or or the Kawhi thing. I'm sure me and Noah will talk about it because it seems to be ongoing. But I would just like to give a general timeline, which I'm not sure Noah did in his pod. Basically, an NBA staff writer at The Ringer got an anonymous DM from someone claiming to be an expert in AI and data analysis and said that he thought that these five different Twitter accounts might belong to Brian Colangelo based on how pro-Colangelo they seem to be going down to defending the man's shirts. Uh, His collars were being made fun of, and then one of these accounts jumped into his defense. Um, And also defending trades he's made, bashing Sam Hinkie. You know, Noah mentioned bashing former and current players, including Joel Embiid, which is insane because he's the future of the franchise, and uh, also divulging information, uh, medical information, about players on the Sixers before he was traded, Jaleel Okafor. They talked about how he had failed a physical and that sabotaged a trade and was also using this information to to further support Brian Colangelo. Why were these random twitting Twitter account supporting Colangelo so enthusiastically uh most people think after reading this is because they were Brian Colangelo now I know the ringer reached out to the Sixers with two of these accounts they 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 thought there might be five that belonged to him but they only reached out with two so they reached out to the Sixers organization to inquire about these two accounts The Sixers admitted that one yes was Brian Colangelo. The second one they denied. And then the ringer writer was monitoring the other three. And right after they approached the Sixers about whether or not these accounts were belonging to Brian Colangelo, the other three accounts all went dark. They all went to private mode. The ringer reached back out to the Sixers and said, who did you talk to about these accounts, the Sixers organization said only Brian Colangelo. So that led obviously implies that he freaked out, thought that people might know about them, and then turned them all to private. Um, this is an insane story, which will keep developing. Uh, and it is, it's very funny. I would love to know who this NBA deep throat is. Is he truly what he says? Just a, a Sixers fan who, who happened to notice these weird Twitter accounts? That also seems a little far-fetched. You know, it, it seems like it might be someone within the Sixers organization who is anonymously contacting reporters. It is a fascinating story. I cannot wait for the 30 for 30 on this. I'm sure there are many more dominoes to fall. 
I to echo to echo Noah's statements. It's probably pretty clear that Brian Colangelo will get fired. This is an amazing story. I'm sure me and Noah will talk more about that. But those are just a couple of points I wanted to stress about uh, the Ringer sort of figuring out which which accounts to go to the Sixers with, and then the other accounts went dark. And it's just it's the timeline of this is fascinating. I encourage you all to read the uh, the Ringer article and then to read the tweets that the you know alleged Brian Colangelo accounts tweeted because they are insane. And uh, if they aren't Brian Colangelo himself, it is a, they are belonging to truly, truly sad people who have truly nothing better to do. Uh, That's all I have on that. I'm sure we'll be talking about it more. Very excited for the finals to start tonight. Noah gave you a great early morning commute pod. I hope you enjoyed this on your commute home. And I wish you all the best of luck with your lives, your hopes, and your dreams. Tau of Hoops. (laughs) 